Please uh, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're looking at, we'll be looking at this whole chapter. And then um, after this, we have uh, uh, two more lessons in this book. And then uh, I'm going to um, go back to the Psalms and start chipping away at some of the Psalms. But um, so tonight we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 11. And uh, let me read through this chapter, just ten verses. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what calamity may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they empty the rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the work of God who works all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not put your hands down in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is sweet, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him be glad in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be vanity. Be glad, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be merry during the days of young manhood. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove vexation from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. Because childhood and the prime of life are vanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this chapter and these uh, principles of wisdom from Solomon as he has reflected upon his observations of life lived under the sun. Help us, Lord, to understand them, to apply them to our lives, to reflect upon life itself in our own lives and how we are living. Please guide us that we would live wisely and circumspectly and in a way which honors you and takes all of life into perspective. We thank you for your word and for your guidance, for your grace, for your mercy. Please be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've been going through this book, we see, as I said before, um, what most of it looks um, sometimes despairing. As, you know, throughout this whole book we we see the phrase vanity or in the beginning especially in the beginning vanities of vanities and then we see a, another phrase of life lived under the sun and we see time and time again of solomon bringing us almost to the point of despair as he considers the meaning of life of what is good in life, or what is best in life, how, how someone can get the most out of life. And yes, he lived in a, a time in redemptive history in which he did not have the full revelation that, that we have. 
uh, nonetheless, the Holy Spirit was guiding him. And he does give us principles. He was a, a man who um, probably had uh, more ability to enjoy all the blessings of life than any of us will ever have, even though he lived in ancient times. There is a sense that we enjoy things that um, clearly he did not enjoy because of technology. But nonetheless, uh, we see uh, him musing on life. And uh, as he gets towards the end of this book, and we can see in this chapter, he's starting to get more into application. And especially in this chapter, it, it seems as if he's uh, uh, addressing uh, more of the the younger people, young men, or a middle-aged person. We see a, a man um, at the end of his life, and it, it seems as if he's saying, hey, listen, uh, learn from what I have learned, from my mistakes. Uh, let me tell you how you should live your life in light of all the calamities, of all the uncertainties. And so... What's interesting about um, this book, about Solomon's, uh, his Proverbs, even in here, um, and, and how he has proverbial wisdom, is that his, his principles of wisdom that he gives us in, here in the Proverbs, even in a Song of Solomon as well, is that it doesn't always give us the concrete answers of what we are supposed to do or the decisions we are supposed to make or, or whether or not we should go through door one, two, or three in life. But it does clearly tell us what is wise and what is foolish, what is sinful, what is righteous. And then he gives us principles. The wisdom literature gives us principles about how we are to go about making those decisions freely and on our own. And Solomon also warns us of the consequences of our decisions. And so here we will see him provide for us, in a sense, uh, two profound principles for living uh, our lives under the sun. Uh, we can see... It, essentially divides this chapter up into to, uh, two parts as he speaks about uh, the uncertainties of life and the realities of life. And so in this first section, verses 1 to 6, we will see him teach us about how we are to live in light of the uncertainties. And in verses 7 to 10, we will see him teach us how to live in light of reality. And so that's how we'll break it up is verses 1 to 6, how to live in light of uncertainties, and then how we are to live in light of reality. And so first he tells us in verses 1 to 2, to give generously and contribute charitably. And this is, you know, we can kind of see this just from face value, as he says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what calamity may occur on the earth. And it's interesting in studying um, wisdom literature and, and uh, 
sometimes even in the Psalms, um, because sometimes there's a lot of figurative language or metaphors or analogies. And uh, usually the, your first inclination is the best one. <laughs> there's, there's commentators who will um, uh, differ on, on the meaning of these passages. Uh, and many um, even would say that what Solomon is getting at is uh, investing um, and certainly you could draw that principle from this. But they're saying uh, that he, he's talking about sending out uh, shipments of grain on the seas and making uh, a bold venture um, to, uh, to send it out and trade. Um, and, and, and that um, if, if you're willing to take the risk, then, then you will uh, receive a return on investment. Um, but if that was the case, if that was what he was getting at, then, then he would only be speaking to other kings. But that's not who he's speaking to. He's speaking to uh, God's people, to Israelites, to those who, who, for the most part, aren't wealthy. He's speaking to a common, everyday person. And maybe even talking to people who... Um, live day to day they only as you know we uh as jesus taught us how to pray lord give us this day our daily bread and he's saying be willing to cast that daily bread on the surface of the waters and, and as others have said um you know talking about soggy bread coming back to them <laughs> that'll come back to them like why would anybody want to eat that but there is a sense of casting out what you depend upon for your daily sustenance being willing to part with it for the sake of others um, being willing to give what you have been given and, and to trust that god will provide for you and as we give, and we are to give because God has given to us, and because in giving, we, in a sense, we become imitators of God. And we, as Jesus said, is more blessed to give than to receive, and we see the blessing of that. Even Paul tells the Corinthians, and he uses this, this principle of reaping and sowing in 2 Corinthians 9 and, and, and just telling them, you know, to guard against uh, being uh, miserly or stingy or greedy. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're not to give begrudgingly or under compulsion, but cheerfully trusting in God, being generous. And it does something to our hearts. It helps us to hold on to life and hold on to possessions loosely. And we are blessed in that. We are to contribute charitably, to contribute to those in need and and trust that when the days come in which we are in need, someone will 
help us. As he says, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what calamity may occur on earth. And that's where many commentators would uh, see this as diversifying <laughs> your investment. And, but it, it's not so much a diversifying of your investments, but of, as um, Jesus would say, make friends with unrighteous wealth so that uh, they will receive you into, and you will be received into um, eternal blessings. You will receive eternal rewards that, that uh, you make friends for yourselves. That you contribute to those in need. As Paul also says, uh, Galatians 6, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That we are to be generous, we are to be givers, and we are to give generously and contribute charitably because we don't really, we don't know what tomorrow may bring and, and we cannot um, plan for every contingency and, and save up enough to cover every contingency or disaster, but we are to live uh, a life of faith. And we are to imitate God by being givers, being generous. Second, he tells us to embrace the unpredictable order. Verse 3, if the clouds are full, they empty the rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. You know, the, once again, proverbial wisdom. Uh, if the clouds are full, they empty the rain upon the earth. It's just when, when they're full, they'll, then they'll rain. And, and speaking to an agrarian culture, speaking to uh, mostly uh, farmers or uh, people with orchards, people that are depending upon uh, rain uh, for not only their daily sustenance, but for their trade, for their farms, uh, to, for, to make money. And if it doesn't rain, then the crops don't grow, and we don't have a harvest, or we have a little harvest, and we don't make money. And also, whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies, and, and not so much specifically t um, teaching on a tree per se, but just general calamities, that things happen. And, and we don't know. We, we, we know there's an order of life, but we don't know when calamity will strike. We, we never know precisely when the clouds fill or empty, but that they do. And that every tree will eventually fall, but you don't know exactly when or how. We are to embrace this unpredictable order in life that things do happen. There is an order. Uh, good and bad comes, but we don't know precisely when it does come. And so we are to continuing with his, his first uh, lesson to give generously, to contribute charitably, to know that we don't know um, everything that will happen. We don't know if this is going to be a good year or a bad year in terms of our crops, and that could be the same with our business or with our job or with relationships. We don't know. 
But we know that there is an order of life and that things happen. And they happen in order and, and sometimes that's unpredictable. Oftentimes it's unpredictable. Third, in living in light of the uncertainties of life, he tells us don't wait for the perfect opportunity. In verses 4 and 5, he who watches the wind will not sow and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the work of God who works all things. Once again, he's talking about the, the farmer, begins with the farmer who's watching the, the wind and he's looking at the clouds and whether or not um, it's going to drop rain or not or be a, a hot wind or you know, blow away the seeds or, or whatever the, the case may be with the weather patterns in that uh, day and age, in that time and place. He's talking about the person that is waiting, the farmer that's waiting for the perfect opportunity to work. One commentator, he writes this, Too much time spent trying to read the skies will only distract one from the task at hand. And those who always wait for the perfect time to begin a project will not sow and will not reap. And there's a sense that this could be the result of laziness, but more than that, it's the fear of failure. The fear of failure. You know, we don't get to work because we're just fearing failure. Or the desire for the best or the perfect outcome. You know, this is uh, uh, what they call uh, analysis paralysis. And we anal analyze the situation so much that it paralyzes us. It's more of the um, person that's prone to being a perfectionist, uh, the, the, the um, engineer type that just wants to know all the variables before he acts. And there is a sense that we are to be wise and discerning and um, not to be hasty, but there's also a sense in which we, we can't wait for the perfect opportunity because there's so many uncertainties in life that we have to work, we have to sow, we have to uh, go out and, and, and uh, live our lives. In verse 5, he says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the work of God who works all things. Knowing that there are times when uh, God in his providence brings calamities, brings challenges, bling, brings blessings, but that doesn't uh, mean that we need to wait or we need to worry, or we need to be anxious. We need to trust him and to work. And this is, you know, we can easily see this application in our day-to-day our -day lives, and um, especially for a career person or for, in, in this instance, a farmer. But there's also this application of in um, our Christian lives, in, in ministry, um, I'm reminded of a famous quote by Hudson Taylor who said, Without an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. If we have all the answers, there's no need for faith. We, we, we don't need to 
trust God or, or rest in God because we have all the answers. And more often than not, in our lives, we, we don't have all the answers. Many times, we only have a bit of the whole picture. Whether it's work, whether it's ministry. And as we look at this chapter, it, it seems, and he will go on to speak of the young man, it seems as if he is uh, kind of directing his thoughts towards a young person or a young man or a working man, middle-aged person. And there is a sense that in our lives that we have to move. We have to make decisions. And oftentimes we have to act and make decisions without having all of the information or the answers. If we watch the wind, we will not sow. And he who looks at clouds will not reap if you're constantly or in our day and age you know um, watching the for some investors the stock market like a hawk before they buy or sell and they come become consumed by it or uh, for um, people who own a business or um, other careers where they're just uh, consumed by what ifs that they don't act I remember um, seeing a documentary and it is interesting because it was about it was about missions and it was about this uh, missionary family in uh, Papua New Guinea and uh, began with the the um, I guess patriarch and and he went out uh, to be a missionary and then his kids grew up there um, and they also became missionaries and uh, how their whole lives were, were of living by faith. And uh, not just in going, and, but in staying there. And, and in the particular ministries they built. And I remember towards the end of that documentary, there, it was just interesting because there was one man there who just, he wasn't a missionary. He was an Englishman and, and he owned a, a coffee plantation and he said this um, he said this uh, it's kind of a way to the audience uh, uh, a charge to the audience uh, the, the viewers of the documentary he said don't be a gunna man don't be a gunna man and he goes on he says you know what a gunna man is well I was gonna do this I was gonna go out to uh, the missions I, I was gonna go to school I was gonna start that business I was gonna go on that vacation I was gonna do all these things I had all these plans in my life and I never did that never came to fruition and probably because they, they were waiting for the perfect moment the perfect opportunity for everything to line up and, and that's almost never the case there comes a point when we have to act, when we have to make that decision, when we have to step out on faith, when, and especially for uh, younger people, when they're making those big, major life decisions about uh, what career to choose, whether or not to uh, go to school or to study abroad or to join the military or to marry this person or move to another state or whatever it may be or uh, go into ministry or, or whatever it may be, and there comes a point in time in which we need to make that decision. 
and step out on faith and, and not be a gunna man. Because there are uncertainties in life and there will always be uncertainties. And that brings us to Solomon's uh, fourth lesson uh, under living in light of the uncertainties of life is that we are to work while we can. Work while you can. Sow your seed in the morning and do not put your hands down in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. He's saying work while you can. Get to it. Seize this window of opportunity. Be ready to catch the wave when it comes. Get out there. Work. And we'll see these two contrasts here. Um, there's this tension throughout this whole chapter of working, of being thrifty, of being responsible, of being wise, but also this tension of uh, enjoying life, enjoying God's good gifts, uh, rejoicing in all that he has given you, and yet working as if you won't have time to work again. Say, don't, don't wait until later in the evening or, or don't just sow in the morning and then forget about the evening because you don't know whether both of them alike will be good. You don't know whether uh, one will turn out and the other one won't. You can apply that to different uh, situations in terms of business or investing or uh, even in terms of uh, ministry efforts, of uh, cultivating relationships, that we are to work while we can. Even Jesus would say, uh, night is coming, the time is coming in which we will no longer be able to work. There are windows of opportunities in our lives that open and close, and we need to seize that time. We need to work while we can. We need not to waste our time. You know, I, I remember um, hearing a, a message on uh, an earlier chapter in Ecclesiastes by one preacher, and I was really uh, kind of somewhat shocked or confronted by what he said, but, um, you know, because he used this phrase, which we often hear um, by the stronger A-type personalities, those in either in business or in sports, of this term of grabbing the bull by the horns. You know, that, that, that term of seizing the day, of seizing the opportunity, of taking hold. And he says that more than anyone else, the believer ought to be the one who lives life as if they are grabbing the bull by the horns. Because God has given us this life. He's given us opportunities. He's given us the gift of life, of abilities. And we are to steward those abilities, to steward those opportunities uh, of all our time, talents, and treasures. We are to sow our seed in the morning and, and not put our hands down in the evening. We are to work. And we are to give. But we're also to enjoy. And so his first uh, lesson is to live 
in light of, of the uncertainties, that we, that we don't know what tomorrow may bring or next year. Um, and so we are to work. We are, not, we are not to waste opportunity or waste ability or waste time or talents or treasures. And then second, we are to live in light of reality. Live in light of reality, verses 7 to 10. The light is sweet, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him be glad in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be vanity. Be glad, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be merry during the days of young manhood. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove vexation from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, because childhood and the prime of life are vanity. And in verses 1 to 6, he, he, he talks about working, about giving, about seizing opportunities, uh, uh, about not sitting on our hands, that there's uncertainties in life but that should not paralyze us and then in verses 7 to 10 he talks about living in light of reality that there will come a day in which we die in which our lives will be over and not only will that day come in which we die but there will be seasons of life which pass us by seasons and phases of life such as uh, childhood and uh, being a teenager or a young adult or uh, uh, being a young married couple or having a young family or empty nesters or retirees. There's these seasons and phases of life that come and go and there's this reality that uh, life will end. And the times and seasons will end and so therefore we are to enjoy life as much as possible. Because it is a gift from God, as he says in verse 7, the light is sweet and is good for the eyes to see the sun. And it's interesting because most of, uh, uh, all throughout Ecclesiastes, he has this phrase of life lived under the sun, almost in a negative sense of life lived in a fallen world, that things don't work out the way they're supposed to, that um, there is uh, frustration and despair and there's a lack of fulfillment but here he says the light is sweet and it is good for the eyes to see the sun that that life is good that life is a gift from God and, and yes it's true that um, for almost all of us there's things in our life which we would rather not go through and our lives are not what we would really want them to be but life is still a gift. It's still a gift to be cherished and to be used. And we are to, in a sense, enjoy it. Because if we don't enjoy it, then that is almost, uh, in a sense, an offense to God who's given us this gift. We are to hunt for the good in life. To enjoy it as a gift from God. And as you do, taste and see that God is good. All the things he has given us is good. That this, even this creative order, as he says, the light is sweet, that would almost draw our attention to 
the creative order and even the skies and, and the, the sunshine and the clouds and just the beautiful colors that he has made and just life under the sun. You, we think of natural landscapes and, and places that we long to go and see that are like national parks and, and just the beauty of this world that he has created, us, created for us and, and put us in. The place in which we live and move and have our being and, and all these wonderful things that we can see in this world and in the natural order. And just, you know, sometimes I walk around here and just hear, and especially at night, and you hear the, the bugs. Like, I don't know if they're crickets, cicadas, whatever, but it's like a symphony. And just to think that God has created each one of those insects and, and the way they, they match. And it is like a symphony. And then the birds and the trees and, and every single ecosystem is different in the variety. God has made a wonderful world for us to live in. We are to enjoy it and, and embrace it while we can. And, and just to think that um, you know, there's many people in the world who they, they can't see or they can't hear or they can't um, perceive all the beauty of this world that God has made. And, and for um, many of us, we can. We can see colors. We can see the natural or we can perceive it. We can hear it. We, we can taste uh, good food and savor it. And we are to do that to the glory of God. As Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Be thankful. Rejoice. The light is sweet and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. There's also a sense that as he says that, there, we know that there will come a time when the light will not be as sweet as it once was because the darkness is drawing near. And there will come a time in which you can no longer do the things you once did. So we are to enjoy life as much as possible. Because he goes on in verse 8, he says, Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him be glad in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be vanity. And so his second lesson here in living in light of reality is that we're not only to enjoy life as much as possible, but we are to also rejoice in both the good and the bad. Because there will be good times and there will be bad times. And given enough time, you will experience both good times and bad times and know that God has ordained both of them. And oftentimes we don't really savor how good the good times are unless we have gone through the bad times. We don't understand what a blessing good health is until soon after we have been sick for a long time. We, we don't understand the, uh, a blessing of just being able to walk unless, you know, there was a time in which we had a, an injury that, that we had to be on crutches or we couldn't walk. You know, there's, there's good times and bad times. And you could um, 
also apply that to relationship struggles or uh, employment struggles, that there is good times and bad times. There's, there's good seasons and bad seasons in life, such as uh, war and peace or uh, uh, poverty or riches. God brings good times and bad times. And there is a sense in which we are to rejoice in both of them, knowing that he has ordained them. You know, I recently have been uh, listening to um, a podcast uh, about uh, one uh, pastor who has um, taken uh, a church recently, taken on a new church, and has gone through um, some struggles in reforming that church. And he gives a testimony about how... Uh, in his life, he really had two major dark periods of his life, and the first being in his early childhood and just a horrendous upbringing. But he realized that that time prepared him as a young man and as a family man um, not to do what he had experienced in his horrendous upbringing. And then now as he is recently coming out on the other end of this uh, dark trial in the, the church and in ministry, he's, he's understanding uh, things that he's learned from that time. And so that he's able to look back on the dark times and rejoice in that, in the lessons that he has learned and how God has ordained that to make him the man that he is. And none of us you know, would sign up for half the trials we have been through, but those trials we look, look back on, they, they've made us the person that we are. Is, uh, you know, I, I've heard this from uh, many people in the military, um, and especially even um, some who, uh, you know, they don't do this anymore, but years ago, like during Vietnam or whatever, that have been drafted and said, you know, I would have never have decided to join or to go off to war or to do this, but looking back, you could not, I would not trade that experience for a million dollars or whatever it may be. And, and people um, that have gone through other similar tragedies or trials or challenges in life would, would say the same thing. And there's a sense that we are to rejoice in both the good and the bad. And third... We are to embrace each season and phase of life. Verse 9, Be glad, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be merry during the days of young manhood. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And this is where he's directing um, his, his advice towards the young people. As an old man, saying, hey, listen, I, I've been there, I've done that. And that time, that season of life is going to pass. It'll probably be shorter than you think it will be. But while you're in that season of life, enjoy it. Embrace it. Re rejoice in the abilities and opportunities God has given you. And, and don't waste them. You know, there, there are times and we can look at this mostly for the young person 
But there, there's a sense where there are times and seasons of life to play sports. Because there's going to be a time when you, you can't do that anymore. You, you physically cannot do that. You know, uh, and this whole chapter uh, and other commentators um, would uh, talk about this. It brings up the concept of the bucket list. You know, we hear about that in uh, the secular world, about having a bucket list. And uh, sometimes, he says, believers can look down at that um, and say, well, that, that's worldly, that's earthly, that's selfish, and, and most of the time it is. But he says there's also a sense in which we as believers should be able to pursue life and enjoy life in such a way that we can make a bucket list and pursue that and check it off in a way which glorifies God. And one of those items, you know, um, we hear a lot of times is um, something such as like run a marathon, um, go to an exotic place. Um, and there are times and seasons in life in which we can do that. And then those seasons will pass. That opportunity will pass. There's times and seasons of life to play sports, to study abroad, to serve in the military. It's interesting. (laughs) Um, A lot of uh, military men, they they join just for an opportunity. Sometimes it's patriotic. Um, Sometimes it's just that season of a young man's life. and, And there's something about it, the adventure and uh, I remember being in the National Guard, we had this um, kind of, most states do this, where you have uh, a state military reserve. And uh, there's some guys would joke about um, the people in the state military reserve because it's all volunteer. They're, they're like part of the military, but they're not. <laughs> it's like they get to wear the uniform, they get to come and help out but they can't really help out all that much because they're technically not military but they get to wear the uniform and feel like they're a part of it and so some guys would joke joke about these people like oh they're midlifers they're mid and most of the time that's what it was it was people who kind of always wanted that adventure and that that experience but for the sake of their career or what, it wasn't a wise career move. And then so a lot of them um, became successful and then uh, they grew older and older. And then there was this, this just unfulfilling part of their life. And they would say, well, I'll volunteer. And then at least I can wear the uniform and seem like I'm a part of it. And, but it's almost as if they've lost that window of opportunity. There are these windows of opportunity in our lives, especially for a young person. The time to uh, study abroad or even to go on an extended missions trip. To spend six months in another country to help out a missionary or to travel. There's times and seasons of life in in which uh, we're a young couple or we're raising a family or whatever it may be, that those times and seasons, they come and go, and we are to embrace each and every one of them and be glad in them. As he says, be glad, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be merry during the days of young manhood, and walk in, ways of your, in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes. And, uh, you know, there could be a surface reading of this that says that, in a sense, Solomon is... Uh, 
saying it's okay to be hedonistic, it's okay to be worldly, but that's not the case. The, the case is, is that Solomon is, is telling the young man, saying, God has given you this gift of life. He's given you this gift of ability, of opportunity. Uh, see what God has given you and enjoy it while you have it. I remember um, there has been a couple times that I see this as a young father. And uh, I remember one time, and she's not here, so, but just uh, when, <laughs> but just, you know, Evelyn, when she's my first girl, and she's like one, and just laying down and, and just having her on my chest and just, you know, her cooing and just rejoicing. And, and this is, this is wonderful. This is great. And also knowing that these days are going to be over. It's going to be gone. So rejoice in it. Be glad in it. Glorify God in it. Because that time is going to pass. And then another season is going to come. And when that other season, that next season comes, whether being a grandparent, <laughs> enjoy that season. But we are to live in light of um, each season and phase of life and embrace them and know that the seasons and phases of life, they come and go. They come and go. But there's also a sense that as Solomon is telling the young man to enjoy life, that he gives this warning. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And, and that's where we, we can't take this... Um, this interpretation of, of um, the license to worldliness or hedonism. He's saying, enjoy all the earthly blessings and all the physical blessings and the, the seasons of life, but know that God will bring you into judgment for all these things um, in the Christian life. Of We can become, uh, in a sense, miserly and stodgy and... and and there's little joy in our life because we're not rejoicing in all the good things and, and, and we can become legalistic and self-righteous and, and we can add rules upon rules upon rules and, and say, well, we must do X, Y, and Z or else we're not faithful. And then there's the other side, the licentious side that you know, we just do whatever we want and cheap grace. And there's always that balance that, that God has given us uh, liberty and he's given us many blessings in this life. And if, if we don't enjoy them, then, and then what does that say about the gift? What does that say about the giver? It's like a, as one commentator said, it's you know, using the analogy of, of the, the parent giving their child the, either the birthday present or the Christmas present. And it's one thing for the child to take that present and to just rip it open and to play with it and to destroy it in the first day. And it's another thing for the kid to not even open it and put it on the shelf and just say, I'm going to keep it in pristine condition and I'm just going to save it. And I'm not going to use it. We were to use the good gifts that God has given us and, and to enjoy them, to live. 
is also to finally live in light of the brevity and end of life. That our life will come to an end. There will be a time in which it is over. Verse 10, he says, So remove vexation from your heart and put away evil from your flesh because childhood and the prime of life are vanity. He says remove vexation. That could also be translated grief, anger, sorrow, anxiety, or discontentment from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. He's saying is, in a sense, don't be anxious. Don't live in regret. Don't live in frustration. Because your childhood will be over. The prime of life will be over. So enjoy it while it lasts. But know that it will be over someday. And and you're not to, uh, in a sense, place all your eggs in one basket. Or as many in our day and age, it it seems as if, um, you know, there's the health industry pills and potions and uh, lotions and everything meant to, uh, you know, uh, keep us young and and to uh, reverse the effects of aging. It's always been there ever since uh, ancient days. Uh, You know, whatever we can do to stay young forever and uh, some of it may, uh, you know, work for a time being, but it it is not going to... uh, to work completely. It's not going to completely slow down the effects of aging. We will age. Uh, our, we will enter into the next time and season. If we live long enough, we will grow old. We will lose ability. The next season of life will come. So we are to embrace each season as it comes and, and yet not hold on too tightly to it. One commentator, he writes this. He says that, throughout this whole passage, that enjoyment and judgment, those strange partners come together in this section because both clamor for man's deepest commitment. Surprisingly, one does not win out over the other. In a world created for enjoyment, but damaged by sin, judgment and enjoyment and pleasure are held in tension. With too much pleasure, judgment stands as a threatening force. With too much judgment, enjoyment suffers. In the final analysis, both are prominent themes of life that are resolved in our relationship to God. God has created this world in such a way that we would live in uh, communion and relationship with Him. We think back to the garden and and God had given Adam and Eve all this wonderful paradise to live in and to enjoy and just to see His goodness and to revel in it. To, to eat uh, tasty and sumptuous food and to enjoy uh, marital bliss and, and just to uh, wonder in awe and amazement at God's creative genius. And yet they were tempted by the one thing that God has withheld from them rather than the numerous blessings He has provided for them. As this commentator writes, all this, this, these themes of judgment and enjoyment are resolved in our relationship to God. And also in our Christian lives, we are to commanded to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever, to um, 
whether we eat or drink, to do all to His glory, to be thankful, to rejoice, but also know that we will be judged for our sins. Solomon, as another commentator writes, he says that Solomon realizes that life's certainties like death and life's uncertainties like accidents and disasters cannot be predicted. However, a person can prepare for both sets of circumstances and enjoy God's marvelous gift of life under the sun. Another commentator writes, he says, he, there, that there's this appropriate summary of this section of the book. Be bold, be joyful, and be godly. Be bold, be joyful, be godly. We, we don't know what life will come. We live in light of the uncertainties, that there are uncertainties in life, but there's also a sense that there is a reality of life, that if we live long enough, we will age, we will eventually die. There will be good times, there will be bad times, there will be seasons and phases of life. We're to live in light of each one of them. God has given you a life. And so live it to the fullest within His will by obeying His commands and striving to glorify Him in all that you do. That's where Solomon will later say that um, the end of the matter is to, uh, after all has been said and heard, to fear God and keep His commandments, to honor Him in everything, because He will bring every act into judgment but know that he has given us a life to live and to enjoy and to live for his glory Heavenly Father as we look at these principles of wisdom we consider our lives we consider all the questions and all the desires that we have of what tomorrow may bring or what the next week or the next year may hold for us or um, how we are going to get through this trial or this challenge or what is best in life. Remind us of why you have created us for your glory and that we are to enjoy the good gifts that you have given us and, and namely the, the gift of salvation, uh, these spiritual gifts of uh, your word, of your church of knowing you that you have not left us in the darkness but have shown your great light upon us and we can walk in the light help us to see help us to see how blessed we are help us to see the blessings of life in the mundane ordinary things and to take time to stop and smell the roses so to speak but also to be wise not to squander our lives, but to make the most out of them because one day they will be gone. We thank you for this wisdom, these principles. Help us to apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.